everybody and welcome to the true crime squad this is katie weaver i'm here with my sister co-host and partner in crime christy brower hello hello hey everybody we're back for a third show this week it's like we're getting our shit together or something i don't know i mean it seems like it i think so yeah mm-hmm. well good well how's it going it is good uh i am having a hot flash fuck you menopause um, other than that, Danilo Cavalcante has been caught. <laughs> 14 days he eluded the police. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, you guys. We'll tell you all about it in case updates tonight. But I was happy to see that this morning because yes. this has taken way too long. Right. Well, we Especially said on Monday night, hopefully by Wednesday we can come back on case updates and announce that he's been caught and so thank you thank you uh law yes. enforcement for uh good job facilitating this for us <laughs> they took a big <laughs> selfie with all of them and him and the dog which i, I was people like are, seriously freaking out well i mean he did kind of make a fool out of them for uh yeah for, i think they needed some week. proof that they had uh done their done their due diligence here i'm just glad that he didn't harm the dog he was armed <sighs> And so, arm, yeah, yeah. or other people. I mean, hold on before you get mad at me. Uh, right. Yes. Well, but anyone, they sent a dog anyone. in after him because he was inside yeah. of a big stack of wood. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, he could have harmed the dog, but uh, he probably knew at that point. He'd had two good weeks. Uh huh. That was it. Yep. Well, good. Good, good, good. Although, one funny thing, he was wearing a Philadelphia Eagles sweatshirt. When they caught him, a lot of people were pissed about that, and the police cut it off from him. <laughs> you don't get to wear this. <laughs> that was what? you're not a fan. <laughs> that was great, man. Like there's actually an image of them cutting it up the back to take it off from him. And I just <laughs> yeah, that was great. Like Pennsylvania now, is they're done. They're done. They're all done. Yeah. Now if the Eagles have really great PR people and uh, social media people, they will make some memes out of this that are funny as hell. But we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, at this point, I think that the people of this community deserve to do whatever they want to Mm -hmm. with old Cavalcante. Mm -hmm. I am super glad he was caught without any injury to anyone and surprised, genuinely. Very surprised. Well, he did have a shout out with the homeowner. He did. Which miraculously, well, I, they were unharmed. Yeah. Well, he didn't shoot at them. They shot at him as he was running oh, I away, he did stealing fire a gun. No. Okay. Uh, from what I've read, no, they were firing on him because mm-hmm. he was stealing a gun from their garage. Yeah. Yeah. I figured he was planning one of those down in a blaze of glory deals with the police. Uh, me too. Me too. I didn't point, think but, he'd come in alive. Yeah. But maybe he got a little too cocky. Didn't think they were going to find him in the stack of wood. Maybe. Well, he, they hadn't yet, so... I get it. Right. I can I can see where that confidence would come from. Mm-hmm. Well, excellent. Yeah. Well, good. Well, I have got a rabbit hole of a case today. But before that, I'm going to kick it over to you to open us up with some WTF news. 
Meet Susan Marsha Rose. Susan, Susan's case was just solved because the man who raped and murdered her walked into an FBI office and confessed. Whoa. She was killed in 1979. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So he walked into an FBI office. His name is John Michael Ermer. He's 68. And he told agents that he was the one who raped and killed her 44 years ago. Holy cow. Yeah. So he, you know, was immediately arrested and, you know, was going to, is going to be arraigned. And so Susan was 24. She was found dead um, in an apartment building. This was in Boston, in a place called Boston's Back Bay neighborhood on October 30th of 1979. Her cause of death was multiple blunt injuries. Uh, she had fractures of the skull, laceration of the brain. Like he hurt her real bad. Mm-hmm. And then he he says that he sexually assaulted her after he killed her. Mm-hmm. So apparently, um, this guy just walked in, told agents that he met a woman with red hair at a skating rink around Halloween in Boston in 1979. And she was found on October 30th of 1979. So that fit. Wow. Yeah. The building that she was killed in was under renovation at the time. And he used a hammer that was in the building to kill her. Um, so he another man was actually tried and found not guilty of her murder in 1981 wow right isn't that crazy like yeah that guy could have been in prison this entire time we've seen that happen right here where we live oh yeah um so they took dna from him and they actually have matched his dna to evidence from the murder scene So does he have um, like he, terminal cancer or something? Why why no. now? This is what's weird. I don't know if this guy just really likes control, I guess, because he has also confessed to a murder, uh, to another murder, and he has served 30 years in prison for a murder in California. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. So we don't know if he's just going to plead guilty. He does have an attorney. Uh-huh. Um, he's being held without bail. But right, why, why now? Why after he just couldn't live with it anymore? I don't know, man. And he's... It's crazy. This does not usually happen. No. Can you and imagine I mean, how many the, uh, agents that listened to this story and went, right? <laughs> Say what now? Wow. With genealogical DNA, you know, we're solving, we're seeing cases like this getting solved regularly now, mm-hmm. but they're being solved because the, you know, the perpetrator's already dead, or this person has managed to live 50 years out on the streets after a murder like this, and this guy turned himself in. Uh-huh. So pretty interesting. So her name is Susan Marsha Rose, and um her family at least finally has some closure um on what happened, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, fortunately, the person who was tried for her murder was found not guilty. Uh-huh. It's just crazy. 
but the the murderer his name i'll just give his name one more time it's john michael ermer and i mean i have questions how many more murders does this guy have right i mean come are we on, gonna man. see his name come up some more because he served for 30 years for a murder he's confessed to another murder and now this one so oh, what oh. the hell man okay my biggest question is for the murder that he served 30 years for was his dna never put in the system Right. Or had they never put the DNA that was found at the crime scene into See, the system? That's my thinking. It was 1979. Yeah. Um, it's possible that this case just never went into the system at all, mm -hmm. you know, because um, they have match DNA now. But yet, yeah, obviously, he wasn't in the system as a match to a, to this crime. Right. Or, or so, he was, I don't know, but, but he never hey. ran the DNA because it was an old, old crime cold case that right they, they don't we hear that the few small miracles but there are hundreds of thousands of cases that are sitting on shelves that haven't had the five thousand dollars it takes to do the uh dna work you know i mean it's just right right very possible it was just never done well or that there was never any dna actually um taken you know because the case yeah. was too old yeah. So anyway, good news. I mean, hey, murderers, feel free to just yeah. keep on confessing, please. This I mean, you makes might as everyone's well. life easier. Yeah, and these cases are getting I mean, solved anyway, so. Yeah. Let's, yeah. Well, no kidding. Like, hey, are you worried? Are you worried that genealogical DNA might finally take you down? Well, I've got an idea for you. Why don't you walk right into the police station and just tell them what you did? Because they're coming for you anyway. Wow, that was like a little commercial. I like it. Was it. yeah, yeah. I, I maybe we should start running it on the show. <laughs> hey, murderers! <laughs> Have we got a deal for you? <laughs> it's true though that I would think that, that so people funny. that have gotten away with something like that for so long, if they're paying any attention to what's mm -hmm. happening in forensics these days, mm -hmm. they should be scared. It might be you next. Your coffee you cup. Forty-four years. You're pretty sure they're never coming after you. Sure. At that point, you know. But you don't know who's watching for your used coffee cup, cigarette butt, uh, pizza crust. Pizza box, yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Also, by the way, we just shed DNA wherever we freaking go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Little did we know, you know, in years past. But yeah, I mean, our DNA is everywhere. How gross we really are. Yeah. Very, very <laughs> gross, yes. Absolutely. For sure. So... With that, I'm going to kick okay. it back to you for our main case. Okay. I'm going to tell you a tale. And I would like you to try to be a little patient with me while I get to uh, the current part of it. But I feel like the whole story needs to be told. So I'm going to start right okay. here. Okay. With this couple. And believe it or not, they are a couple. Uh, he. They have the. They have both the downturned smile. They don't look too thrilled in these pictures. Yeah. Well, they are close to thirty years apart in age. Wow. Uh, his name is Andrew Frond. Her name mm -hmm. is Joanne Cunningham. Okay. And Andrew and Joanne met. When Joanne came into his law office seeking a divorce. Mm. And as it turned out, Joanne 
was an opioid addict. And I think that's what they bonded over. And throughout the course of her divorce, uh, they started a relationship. And Joanne ended up moving in with him. At one point, there was an order from the court that she was not to go back to her home with her previous spouse. And uh, they went together anyway and removed a bunch of items. And his Mm -hmm. law uh, license got in trouble for a while. And this is how their relationship started. Started with a bunch of bullshit. This was in uh, Mm -hmm. 2012. But they did eventually end up fully together. And in they 2012? Had, so she was, was only like 21. Well, I, I, I'm not sure how old she was at the time. No, she was 36 at the time. Oh, okay. Oh, they're 30 years apart. I'm sorry. I'm yeah. thinking 30. She's 30. Never mind. Oh, no, I'm sorry. She must have been about 30, 31, 30, 31 at the time. Okay. But yeah, okay. they're about 30 years apart in age. Yeah. So, Andrew was also ordered to attend a 12-step program because it was found in uh, the disciplinary actions taken against him uh, on his law license that he was an opioid and cocaine addict. Mm, And so was she. However, he was really quite liked in the community. People liked him. Their uh, relationship and their family was uh, described by people who knew them as dysfunctional, but people really liked him as an attorney and as as a human. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not too long after that, they had a baby. And unfortunately, the baby's name was Andrew as well, but they called him AJ. Well, AJ was born with... Uh, opioids in his system. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. So this is where DCFS becomes involved with this family. So they took the baby initially into protective custody. That's how his life started. Mm. So he was born on the 16th of uh, October, 2013. And he was taken into protective custody and put in a foster home for two years. In 2015, he is returned home. In 2016, the case is closed because mom and dad have gone to treatment. They have had... uh, Parenting classes, DCFS says, yep, you guys are cool. You can go back to your lives now. Well, okay, fine. Well, after that, they also had another child uh, about a year later who also kind of bounced around the system. Mm. So again, in June of 2015, Andrew was returned to the custody of his mother. Uh, From that time until 2018, 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, DCFS makes 17 unannounced visits to the parents' home. Okay. Uh, mostly because keep of... Keep an eye. That's good. Well, mostly because of calls, you know, oh. threats, issues. On the 21st of May, 2018, or sorry, of March, DCFS receives a hotline report of substantial risk of physical injurious environment and environment neglect against uh, the mother and the father. The report alleges that the mother was brought to the emergency room after being found unresponsive in a car. Andrew was observed at the hospital to have odd bruising on his face. Hmm. Uh, DCFS meets with them, decides that things are fine. Doesn't do anything. In March of 2018, or May of 2018, a DCFS investigator completes a final safety assessment of the home. They say both boys observed were clean and dressed appropriately. Mother reported a history of drug use and current drug treatment. The home was observed to be clean, neat, and adequately furnished. The next day, they verify her treatment in the drug protocol program. They say the report... uh, that was back from March where he had bruising all over his face was unfounded and the investigation was closed. Mm. Seven months later in December of 2018, DCFS receives a hotline report alleging environmental neglect as both boys had cuts, welts, and bruises, particularly Andrew. Uh, Andrew was observed by the police to have a large bruise on his hip Police observed the ceiling fan falling down, the floor torn up, and the kids' bedroom smelling of dog urine. She was arrested Mm -hmm. for driving on a suspended license, and protective custody was taken of both children. They took Andrew to the hospital. uh, He told a doctor about the bruise on his leg. First, he told a doctor that the dog did it. But then he told him that maybe somebody hit him with a belt. And maybe mommy didn't mean to hurt him. Oh. Okay. A DCFS investigator interviews Joanne while she's still at the police station. She states they were remodeling the home and did admit to dog feces and urine being present in the home. DCFS investigator asked her to take Andrew to immediate care, which she did. And that's when we hear about him maybe being hit by a belt. Mm-hmm. Father bonds mother out. Joanne is tested for drugs, and the children are returned home. Yeah, that's a bad track record, right there. On the nineteenth of the so next day, DCFS comes to the home. The home is observed. The living room and dining room were cluttered with clothes and toys. The kitchen was clean, and the floor was missing a tile. The ceiling fan was not falling. I'm guessing dad fixed it by then. 
An investigator sensed a slight odor of dog urine. No feces or urine was observed on the floor. You know, because someone cleaned it up. Right. The father reported to the investigator that he did pick the children up from the hospital last night. The father denied any corporal punishment and denied mother using drugs. Okay. Two, two days later, on uh, December 20th, DCFS investigator speaks with the past DCFS investigator regarding her case findings. Two months or two weeks later, moving into January, DCFS unfounded the report due to lack of evidence for cuts, welts, and bruises allegations. But he had bruises at the hospital. Yeah, but they closed it anyway. Four months later, on the 18th, the police are called to the home because Andrew has been reported missing. And DCFS Mm -hmm. receives a hotline report alleging environmental neglect and inadequate supervision. Police observed the home to have ripped up floors, food lying around, and clothes and garbage everywhere. On the 18th, DCFS investigator arrives at the police department and speaks with the police. Protective custody of the younger brother is taken. The younger brother was placed in a licensed foster home. He was examined by a medical professional, appeared to be healthy, and showed no obvious signs of abuse or neglect. But we have a missing five-year-old now in Crystal Lake, Illinois. So they start leaning on the parents, and they find a deleted video from mom's phone that makes them think that uh, dad knows exactly what happened to him. And finally, a week later, After help from dad, they find Andrew's body wrapped in a sheet and buried in a shallow grave about 20 miles away from their home. Oh, my God. The cause of death is uh, from blows to the head. And finally, mom and dad admit that, yes, there'd been an incident that day. Andrew had peed his pants and lied about it. So they put him in a a cold shower for 20 minutes and made him stand in a cold shower. Oh, my God. Are they trying to kill him with hypothermia? And then... little kid. mm -hmm. And then, essentially, beat him to death and put him to bed. Oh, wow. That was three days before they reported him missing. And three days later, they did the whole, we just woke up this morning and Andrew was gone. And we have no idea. So both parents are charged and eventually they both plead guilty. They have both been sentenced to something like 30 years in prison. Uh, Mom was seven months pregnant at the time. So of course that child as well as the younger brother have, you know, gone into the system now and have probably already been adopted at this point uh, because these two are never getting out of prison. But the community is pissed. Because obviously, DCFS knew that there were a lot of problems in this home and didn't go far enough. They didn't do enough. They witnessed bruising. They witnessed, uh, there was another report in January of that year where mom drove to a Taco Bell and asked to use their phone and called the police and said that somebody had stolen her medicine. Yeah. Boy. And when the police got there, this is in January, there were broken windows 
They had no heat. They had no electricity. They had very little food in the house. Mom was obviously stoned to the bone and a big mess. The house was full of dog shit and a big gross mess. And when DCFS was called that time, they said that they don't respond to utility issues. <laughs> so we just let kids stars or freeze to death in the winter then? Right. Like you they don't respond no to utility power. issues. Yeah. Yeah. Hello. That depends entirely upon the climate and the time of year where you are. Yeah. Yeah. So the community's mad. They're like, how can this happen? How can, and, and DCFS in that area already had a bad reputation of siding with abusers, siding with parents, uh, giving kids back when they shouldn't have. So it's everywhere. Yeah. So a civil it's case everywhere. eventually is filed against the two men, uh, Andrew Pullivan and Carlos Acosta. So they were the uh, caseworker and the supervisor. And this is them. Well, from the civil case, unbelievably, criminal charges were filed against both of them. Wow. Now that's that, not something you hear every day. No. Well, that trial started this week. They have both pled not guilty. Uh, they are, it's a bench trial, so it'll be a judge that makes the decision. Mm -hmm. According to the indictment, a grand jury charged them for not acting in good faith with willful or with in, within their official capacities and willful and wanton manners knowingly caused or permitted the life or health of AJ, a minor child under the age of 18, to be endangered and said offense was approximate cause in the death of AJ. Wow. They also, the jury also said they charged Pullivan for not acting in good faith within his official capacity. In his opening statements, the prosecutor said, when your job is to protect children and you don't do that job because you are lazy and you are heartless, you are necessarily and by definition endangering children. This is not a case about two employees overwhelmed by the rigors of a demanding job. This is a case about two who, criminals who didn't give a damn. Wow. Yeah. So that's to take it to this level. That's, I mean, they've got some seriously egregious evidence because you just never see these things go criminal ever with CFS or, you know, ever. whatever your state calls it. Yep. Wow. They had a female uh, officer on the stand yesterday who sobbed and said that the police begged DCFS to get those kids out of there oh, and that wow. they just weren't listening and would just blow them off. She recalled a time when they had the kids uh, at the police station. This was when Andrew had the bruises on his face. And DCFS showed up there, interviewed mom, and sent the kids home with her. And the police were furious about it and, and scared mm. for these kids. I mean, obviously, the amount of times the police were at that home and the amount of time that DCFS were at that home in the five years of poor little AJ's short life uh, is astonishing. 
and astonishing that those kids didn't end up out of that home, out of that hell hole they were living in. This is a great opportunity to remember for all of us to check what our child protection laws say, uh -huh. because a lot of states are actually parental protection states. Idaho is, yep. sounds like Ohio probably is, uh -huh. that children don't really have rights yep. in most states. Yep. It is the parents who have rights. And mm -hmm. that's how this kind of stuff happens. Yep. And I'm not saying that the DCFS employees weren't negligent because it sounds like they definitely were. But why weren't the police able to do more themselves? Right. right. Why weren't there more charges? You know, but it's very likely because their hands of are tied. the way their laws are written, because I've seen that happen over and over again, yep. where it's just like when a child goes missing. Your four-year-old's been missing for two years, Oakley Carlson's family. Yep. Um, and they can't even charge the parents uh -huh. in this case because there's no body. They don't know actually what happened to Oakley. It's not enough for the, just your tiny child to be missing for two years. Like it's, yep. But it's, it's a huge problem within the legal system itself. Absolutely. And incidentally, I learned about this case through Oakley Carlson's case. Oh, okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, interestingly enough, uh, that's where it came from. And it's, it's what's been on my mind this whole time is Oakley and the way her case was treated as well as Harmony Montgomery and several others. Uh, but so here we are. So it's, it will be interesting to see if there's actually going to be any accountability meted out to these men. Uh, they both had worked for DCFS for upwards of 20 years. Oh my God. Yeah, they, it's not How like they many were other kids are on their heads. Exactly. It's not like they were newbies to the system. They weren't. No. It wow, also, that's horrifying. it has to make you wonder if the fact that, uh, that dad, at least at some point had been in good standing in this community and was an attorney and probably worked alongside some of these people in mm -hmm. the past, if that, uh, had affected the way this case was treated, the way these little boys were treated. Uh, but at any rate, uh, I felt like this was a really important case, an interesting case to keep an eye on because of the other things that we have seen. Oh, yeah. On Most the flip definitely. side, I believe it's also the anniversary of the murders of Susan Powell's children. Oh, yes. And, of course, that was a case in which a social worker from DCS, DCFS or whatever their state calls it, uh, was murdered by the father, or no, I guess she wasn't, uh, watched, unfortunately, the murder of two children that she had brought for a supervised visit. Mm -hmm. And their father uh, squirreled the children into the house, wouldn't let her in, and then blew the house up. Yeah. It can be a very hard, a dangerous, a thankless job to work for child and family it protective is. services. It, it's a it absolutely is. Terrible situation all the way around. I don't want to demonize all DCFS workers. They definitely don't deserve that. Mm -hmm. uh, however, we obviously have broken systems. We have, as you said, broken laws uh, that are creating spaces for parents to be able to do things like this to their kids and get away with it all around we need some system overhauls we have situations like in idaho when dcfs got involved with a baby that was literally starving to death and ammon bundy and his crew 
created such a problem at the hospital that they shut the hospital down. They had to lock it down for two hours. They couldn't even bring people into ambulance bays uh, that were having medical emergencies. And from that, Ammon Bundy is now uh, has been ordered to pay the hospital $52 million in damages for all of the things that he did. But again, fighting to protect the parents versus the children. In that case, DCFS, they won the day. They took that baby, they got his medical needs straightened out and got him, saved his life. But the people in Idaho, some of them, actually have harassed the hell out of those people. They've been to their homes. They have slandered them online. They have made Mm -hmm. threats against them, as well as the hospital. We are broken and screwed up every around every corner here. Most oh, most definitely, because the attitude toward child protection services for most people is terrible. And it comes from stuff like this, but it also comes from a huge misunderstanding of the system yeah. as well. We don't yeah. people don't understand the way their system works. And yeah. we have huge problems with the fact that um, child protection laws are state by state. I believe they should yeah. be federal. So that children are protected the same in every state and that it can't be used um, as political ammunition because it is Mm -hmm. used as political ammunition um yeah i mean there i i could talk for two hours about this it's it's terrible we have a terrible situation oh i was thinking about a a situation actually with a happy ending when i had daycare so i had home daycare and then uh, directed daycare facilities for 10 years when my kids were younger and one day I had a family, uh, single mom, two kids, uh, really nice lady, darling kids. But mom was really struggling. She was going through an ugly divorce. She was working two full-time jobs. So the kids were at my house all day while she was at work. And then they were with her sister at night while she was at a different job. And mm-hmm. life was hard for this family at this point. And one day they came in for a daycare and the 18-month-old had a cigarette a whole size burn in her neck. And mom said, look at this burn. She said, my sister was swinging with her on the swing set last night and the swing broke. And when they fell, she crushed her cigarette out in her neck. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm a mandatory reporter. Actually, all adults in Idaho are, but particularly right. as a daycare you know, provider, you have to report that stuff. Right, And I felt bad doing it because I liked this mom and I felt like she, I didn't know if she was telling me the truth or not, but I felt like she was trying really hard, but I have no choice. So of course I made the call because you have to, and you know, they promise your anonymity, but you know, who else was going to make the call, you know? Right. So the next day the kids don't show up for daycare. And I had figured this would probably be their last day here because when you call and make a report, usually they don't come back, right? Later that afternoon, my phone rings and it's mom. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> this is probably going to be bad. Yeah. So I answer the phone and she's in tears. And she says, um, I want you to know that I know that you called uh, CPS on my mm-hmm. family. Uh, she said, I know that's supposed to be uh, confidential, but I know it had to have been you. And I said, you know, I said, this was not a call I wanted to make, but you know, it, it is my job. And she said, I completely understand that. And she said, they're helping us. 
she said they don't feel like it's in my kids' best interest for me to work two full-time jobs. She said so they've given us some assistance so that I can work one time, one one job. Oh, good. Two. Uh, the daughter had some really weird health issues going on, and they helped her get into primary children's to solve those. She had some bowel issues that needed some more than what Medicaid in Idaho could offer her. They helped her get that. Mm-hmm. They helped her get some parenting classes. Uh, they helped her get some housing that she needed uh, to be able to afford to stay home. And she cried and cried and thanked me for doing that, for uh, making a call that she didn't dare make to get her family the help that they needed. Uh, DC, mm-hmm. or CPS stayed involved with her family for about a year. And, you know, they checked in with me occasionally, too. And those kids stayed in my care for two more years until she got mm-hmm. married and moved away and life improved for them. That's uh, awesome. It can that's happen. the way the system is supposed to work. That's the way the system is supposed to work. Yep. Absolutely. Wow. Um, it changed her life for the better and the kids' mm-hmm. lives for the better, which was the point. Um, I always kind of go back to that story when I think about all of this because it is a very hard situation when we're getting Child Protective Services or DCFS involved in these cases, but it can work. It can work correctly. But and, and it frequently does. And we hear yeah. about the bad stories. We don't right. really hear the good ones, but I know plenty of good ones over the years as a social worker seeing the same kind of thing where sure. a family who's really struggling gets the support that they need to best care for their children without, mm-hmm. you know, burning themselves out, like working for two full-time jobs and stuff like that. Sure. Yep. Yeah. So as always, if you see something, say something. Well, that that's yeah. our mantra around here. And in my world, all adults are mandatory reporters. I, I don't care what for your sure. state says. In my world, all adults are mandatory reporters. But Definitely. in this case, we're going to keep a close eye on this one because this is the first time that I personally have seen uh, DCFS get held accountable when they dropped the ball terribly and it resulted in the death of a child. So yeah, we'll see how happened, this plays not out very many times. So yeah, this will be very interesting to see what kind of precedent this sets. Absolutely. Well, with mm-hmm. that, I'm going to turn the mic over to you for a true crime uh, case update. Mm-hmm. So some positive news in the Tyree Nichols case. If you remember Tyree Nichols was beat to death by the police mm-hmm. um, several months ago. Yeah. And there are um, five former Memphis police officers who've been accused of his beating death. Mm-hmm. And they have pled not guilty on state charges of second degree murder, but they are now facing civil rights, conspiracy, and obstruction um, offenses, and these are federal. And this is what we want to see happen. So Tyree was killed in January. Um, These folks have been, these five officers, former officers, have been indicted by a grand jury um, in the federal district court in um, Memphis. So they face two counts of deprivation of rights under color of law. found that the former officers had unlawfully assaulted Mr. Nichols and refused to intervene, right? No one helped him. They let him just lay there and die. Yeah. And had failed to provide medical aid or tell medical responders about his injuries. 
And the indictment says that the two offenses led to Mr. Nichols' severe injuries and death. Mm -hmm. uh, if they are convicted, they could face up to life in prison on just those two counts. The other counts um, are related to witness tampering and obstruction, and they are punishable by up to 20 years in prison. Uh, if you remember this, this was such a horrifying oh. and there was video of the entire thing. This is one of the most egregious things I have ever seen. Yeah. And it's become pretty clear that it was a setup over jealousy, over, um, a relationship mm -hmm. and, uh, they beat him and didn't realize that there was a camera, mm -hmm. uh, if, in a parking lot nearby that covered the entire thing. Mm-hmm. So the officers are Tadarius Bean, Demetrius Haley, Emmett Martin III, Desmond Mills Jr., and Justin Smith. And of course, they're facing second degree murder uh, and other charges in uh, Memphis, as well as now these federal charges. Uh -huh. uh, Mr. Nichols did live a few days, but he was severely brain injured at the time that he was finally yeah. transported to a hospital. Um, I'm really happy to hear that things are moving forward. And I always, I'm always very pleased in these situations when there are federal charges because, yeah. you know, the, the system in that state created this situation to begin with. Remember, this was the, this was the Scorpion unit. Right. Um, these men belong to, and it turns out that the Scorpion unit were um, a bunch of cops running amok and doing all kinds of illegal shit all over uh, in Memphis. Yeah. And so that broke up the Scorpion unit. These mm. folks were fired. Some others were also fired as yeah. well. Um, these five men are, you know, seeking now. The Scorpion uh, unit was and, disbanded. Yes. Yeah. And now, you know, they've got state and federal charges. Mr. Nichols' family has also filed a multi-million dollar lawsuit against their former officers and the police department and the city of Memphis as sure. well. They should, Absolutely. because what the hell were they doing allowing that band of marauders mm -hmm. around throughout the city? Because there's been a lot of other offenses that have come forward. P people oh, yeah. forward with all kinds of things that the Scorpion unit did to them. Yeah. Yep, for sure. Uh, well, see, good. The Nichols, yeah, I'm pleased. The Nichols family said the news today from the United States Justice Department that there will be criminal accountability on the federal level for Tyree's death gives his family hope as they continue to grieve his loss and inspire change in his honor. And, you know, fortunately, that's what at least his death can further change i would love it if we didn't have to have any more deaths like this because the change has already occurred and none of the shit was happening anymore but we know that it is and so i'm i'm grateful to see that the justice department has taken this up and that these men will face federal charges as well absolutely yeah good all righty well hey it's wednesday so we'll be yes, back tonight at 7 p.m mountain for Wednesday night case updates. Uh, that is a live stream on YouTube and on Facebook. And of course, it'll be posted to our podcast uh, shortly after uh, filming. So you can catch it anyway. Lots yep. of updates happening. Uh, Koberger back in mm -hmm. court. All kinds of stuff going on. So we will talk more about Danilo Conte and tell you how they caught him. Yeah. Yes, we will. <laughs> and uh, go that direction. So 
thanks so much for being here, guys. Uh, be sure to like, share, follow. Uh, if you would like to tip us, you can always do that by going over to truecrimesquad.com. If you'd like to follow our Patreon, you can do that by going to Patreon and looking for True Crime Squad. You can follow us on Twitter, on Facebook. We have all kinds of, on Instagram. We have We're all kinds everywhere. of stuff going on. TikTok. We, mm -hmm. we need to get better at the ticky talkie. Um, we do, yeah. We don't talk fast enough, <laughs> but we're, we're working on it at any rate. Thank you so much for being a part of our squad. We appreciate you all very much. This has been yet another production of the True Crime Squad. Take care. Bye, everybody.